0: Praise the Lord for His faithfulness and grace for leading GCCP, our church, through 55 years. These five years since the Golden Anniversary celebration have been challenging years. The retirement of many of our faithful pastors and ministers because of age, who have served for decades, left the church with big holes to fill across various ministries. Also, for three and a half years, the church had defined its footing in a constantly changing pandemic environment. And yet by God's grace, united leadership, dedicated staff, faithful volunteers, and a church community that was resilient and adaptable, the church has come out of these five years stronger, leaner, and larger with an online presence that is national and global reach. Praise be to God, and all glory and honor belong to him. While anniversary milestones like this afford us the opportunity to look back and thank the Lord, it also serves as an occasion for us to ask, where do we go from here? We have made it this far. What now? What will it take to get to the next level of spiritual growth for the glory of God? You see, there are usually two directions a historic, thriving church can take. They can either become, number one, keepers of the aquarium, or number two, fishers of men. Mark Wilson observes the difference between keeping an aquarium and fishing in the open sea. When keeping an aquarium, the water is clean and filtered. The temperature is controlled. We choose the pretty and elite fish. One person can maintain it. In order to add more fish, we build a bigger aquarium. Looks are paramount in importance. We stay indoors. But fishing in the open sea, The weather can get uncomfortable. The fish smell, and the fishermen get stinky. Sometimes we catch weird-looking creatures. It is better done with a team. There is greater risk water can get into the boat, people can fall out of the boat, and we can get wet. And we go out to where the fish are. I'm sure you can see the parallels between this illustration and the church. My friends, ongoing... Are we content to just maintain the aquarium, simply going through the motions of church life and ministries to maintain the status quo, doing things because it has always been done and worried about looks and image? Are we as a church willing to get uncomfortable and be inconvenienced to always adapt and be willing to change without ever compromising the message of Christ so that we can figuratively fish for people to tell them about the Savior Jesus Christ? Jesus' invitation in Matthew chapter 4 is clear, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, one of my biggest concerns and fear for a church of our size and influence, seeing God's blessings, is that we will get complacent, that we will be happy with maintaining what we have, patting ourselves on the back, thinking we have done well and now our work is done. But my friends, our work is not done until the day we see Jesus. We're not here to maintain an aquarium for looks. We're to go fishing for men and women and introduce them to Jesus Christ. But in doing so, we must be willing to pay a price. It may not be a price we want to pay, but it is something our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, asks us to consider if we follow him. There is a price to discipleship, the process by which we become more Christ-like as followers of Jesus. Turn to me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 26. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 26. On this anniversary, I want to challenge the church to consider the price we must pay to follow Jesus so that we will be fishers of men and not simply keepers of the aquarium. Now, as you're turning to these verses, I go back one verse to verse 22 so that we can have some context. In verse 22, Jesus tells the disciples that the Son of Man would suffer, be rejected, and then die. This helps us understand the context of verses 23 to 26. Because in light of Jesus' being rejected and killed, those who choose to follow him, to be his disciples, could also undergo similar consequences. Jesus minces no words. There is a price to pay if we want to be a church with church members that follow Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The first price we are called to pay is the price of sacrifice. Self denial in this context has the idea of sacrificing one's personal ambitions, desires, comforts, and conveniences in order to fulfill the will of God. Now you may be saying to yourself, I have given up certain things for the Lord. Look, I've given up my money, my Sundays, and my talents to God. But I believe this self-denial sacrifice goes deeper. It has the idea of a willingness to give up something to the point that it hurts you. This is the very idea of sacrifice. It hurts you. Truth be told, the things we willingly give or give up to the Lord don't fundamentally affect me or change my way of living. And so it's easy to give up certain things for God because it's from my excesses or from my leftover time. It's not sacrificial giving. In true sacrificial self-denial, you must be willing to lose something in the process. Let me share with you the story of my friend Kevin, whom I met in a conference in Malaysia years back. He was a good-looking American with blonde hair and blue eyes and a typical easygoing Californian surfer with a chiseled body a magnetic personality. He told me he was a missionary to Thailand. I asked him if he was married, and he told me no, he was not. As we got to know each other more, I asked him why he was not yet married, because it can be lonely on the mission field. Kevin then told me his story. He said he had a beautiful young woman who was his girlfriend for many years. In fact, they were high school sweethearts, and he proposed to her, and she became his fiancée. Both of them served in the church Both of them loved Jesus with a passion. When he felt God's call in his life to share the gospel in Thailand as a missionary, he told his fiancée about his call to ministry and asked her to join him. She asked for a month to pray about it, and after that time of prayer, she discerned that it was not God's will for her to go to Thailand, but rather to stay stateside and serve him there. This broke Kevin's heart. He had a choice to follow God or to marry the girl of his dreams. What would you do? Well, Kevin followed God's call, broke up with his fiancée, and freed her to pursue other relationships. He went to Thailand to begin his mission's work. He was happy and fulfilled. Until one day, about two years into his missionary life, he got a phone call from his ex-fiancée, who was calling to tell him that she had found someone else and would soon be married. Kevin said that phone call devastated him. He knew he had made the right call in following Jesus, but in his mind, if he was going to be single for the Lord, then she should be single as well. But now she was getting married to someone else, and that really made him question his sacrifice to be a missionary in Southeast Asia. But then Kevin said the Lord convicted him of what he was willing to give up to follow Jesus in the form of this question: Kevin, do you really love me? It was at that moment sacrifice became real to him. What was the price I was willing to pay for my love for Jesus? At that moment, Kevin recommitted his life to Jesus and his calling as a missionary and couldn't be happier. He said, I flew back to my ex fiance's wedding and celebrated with her and our friends and wished her all the best. And I returned to Asia. For more than 10 years, Kevin remained happily single, serving the Lord sacrificially. I was challenged by Kevin's sacrifice. Could I have done the same? What am I willing to sacrifice for Jesus, who gave of his own life for me? Am I willing to be misunderstood? Am I willing to lose something? Am I willing to pay the price of sacrifice? Look at verses 24 and 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? In these verses, Jesus assures us that we're doing the right thing by paying the price of sacrifice now. Because it is a temporary loss now in order to gain something eternal later. You see, my friends, every one of us will experience loss and gain. The question is, when do you want to experience it? Do you want to take a loss now of what the world can offer in order to gain what God will give later? Or will you take the temporary gains now and lose the heavenly rewards God promises? Perhaps, This will help us be more willing to pay the price of sacrifice now. You see, as verse 25 says, what is the point of gaining everything in the world now when you can't take it with you, when you will lose it all? Essentially, it boils down to this idea. Lose now to gain later. This is the struggle I have with exercising. Should I exercise or not? If I exercise, I feel like I will waste one hour of my day when I could be doing other things like eating. But if I don't exercise now, in my mid-40s, then I may have a lower quality of life in the future because of physical health issues, perhaps even developing type 2 diabetes or having heart diseases. So as hard as it is to get motivated to exercise, I'm willing to suffer now to gain later. And my friends, this is a decision we must all make every day. Are we willing to suffer for Jesus to lose now, in order to gain later. Who doesn't want the good things in life now? I certainly do. But listen, the trade-off isn't worth it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world now and is himself destroyed or lost? Are we in the church willing to pay the price of sacrifice and do what it takes to follow Jesus and win people to Christ? Are we willing to wake up earlier to serve the Lord, to set aside time and resources for Jesus, to risk our reputation and businesses for the sake of Christ? Are we willing to pay the price of sacrifice? I read again in verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The second price is the price of responsibility. The price of responsibility. The phrase, take up his cross daily, has the idea of knowing that rejection and ridicule are a part of being a follower of Jesus. In those days, criminals going to crucifixion normally carried the cross piece of their own cross, which is the horizontal bar. The cross was a symbol of death, a punishment meant only for the worst of criminals. The imagery is stark, as those in that day were called to bear the cross publicly and travel a road full of ridicule and burden. This is the same path that Jesus walked to in order to save us, and this is the path He asked us to walk as His followers. We carry our own crosses, meaning we bear the rebuke of the world and burdens associated with being a Christ follower. But my friends, it is not simply carrying the cross as a one-time act. Notice the word daily. It is carrying the cross of Christ every day. That's why it is a lifelong responsibility. Every day, you and I must bear this burden, this responsibility to live for Christ. There are no vacation days. There are no off hours. Just like you can't say, I don't want to be a dad anymore and abdicate your responsibilities. Or you say, I don't want to be a married man anymore and just walk away. Christianity doesn't work like that. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you follow Him every day. You emulate His ways every day. You live out His teachings every day. There is no time when you're not a Christian. Because often it is in those moments when you decide to take a break from being a Christian that the world sees you and calls you a hypocrite. You know the number one reason why non-believers don't want to be a Christian or don't want to come to church? It's sadly because of other Christians. They see the actions and the words of so-called Christians. You see the inconsistencies of people who say they're followers of Jesus Christ but are not willing to pay the price of responsibility to live out the daily Christ-likeness that is required will cause the world to be turned off and call us hypocrites in one of my favorite stories which I often tell Gordon Maxwell missionary to India once asked a Hindu scholar to teach him the language when he moved to India but the Hindu scholar replied no Shahib, I will not teach you my language you would make me a Christian Gordon Maxwell replied sir you misunderstand me I'm simply asking you to teach me your language not to convert you Again, the scholar replied, No, Shahib, I will not teach you. Maxwell asked, Why not? I hear you're the best language teacher. The Hindu scholar replied, Sir, I cannot teach you because I know of your reputation. Maxwell replied, What's my reputation? The scholar replied, Mr. Maxwell, it is this. No man can live with you and not become a Christian. Can you imagine having a reputation like that, where it said of you, no man can live with you and not become a Christian. Can it be the way you live your life where no person can interact with you, no person can live with you, no person can have a conversation with you and not see Jesus Christ and ultimately become a Christian? Maxwell lived out his Christianity as a way of life and did so by paying the price Of responsibility. I hope you will be able to do so as well. You know, when I came to this church almost 20 years ago, I wanted the people of this church to understand that as a part of this church community, as a member of the body of Christ, you and I will have responsibilities. So, for example, if we want to come to worship God at a weekend service, we have the simple responsibility of being prepared when we come to worship to show up on time, and to bring a Bible. That's why I instructed in that first year to remove all the pew Bibles, and why even today we don't flash the verses on the screen. Because at the very least, you can bring your own physical and digital Bibles as part of your responsibilities in preparation to come to worship. That's also why we don't beg you to come to events and remind you constantly through announcements. We have deadlines and we announce things at least four weeks in advance. And it is your responsibility to put it on your calendars, just like you would a doctor or a dental appointment. Can you imagine going to the DFA to renew your passports or going to a visa interview at the embassy and telling them over there to please print out all of your documents that you need because you didn't bring anything? Of course not. They wouldn't do it. We would make sure we have all our documents prepared and collected and photocopied, ready to go. We would dress up and get there earlier than our appointed time. Why? Because that's our responsibility. My friends, listen. Churches become irrelevant when its people forget their responsibilities. You know, at home, I don't have many household responsibilities because my superwoman wife, Cindy, knows I'm busy with ministry, so she wears a lot of hats at home since we don't have a house helper. She does ask me to do a few simple things, like when you take off your socks and put it into the laundry basket. Please make sure it is opened up, meaning it's not rolled up, so that when she has to wash them, she doesn't have to unroll my dirty socks. Such a simple request, right? Do you think I do it? Of course not. I throw it rolled up into the laundry hamper when I get home. But soon I begin to complain why my socks are not clean and they come back into my drawers, still rolled up and inside out. My wife told me, it's not my responsibility to unroll your stinky socks. If you're not going to do it, I'm certainly not going to do it for you with all the things I have to do. So if you want clean socks, you know what to do. So I started doing it in order to have clean socks. My friends, if you don't do your part as a member of this church, or even just as a follower of Jesus Christ, Don't expect things to happen. If you aren't going to do your part, don't expect God to do our work for us. If you're not going to put in the effort to know the Bible well by reading it, studying it, and perhaps even taking a few step classes, then you will remain a baby Christian. If you don't come prepared, alert, with a desire to learn, then you will walk away every Sunday without learning anything, thinking it's a waste of time. If you come to church with preconceived notions about the church or angry, critical, complaining, the Spirit will not work in your hearts to convict you and change you. If you send your kids to junior church expecting that the one hour of church each week will change them to be God-fearing adults, but you yourself don't exemplify at home being a Christ-like role model, then don't expect your child to change." Not doing your part and then blaming God and the church would be like your high school teenage kids getting mad at you because they overslept their alarm. Why didn't you wake me up, they shout. You calmly reply, because it's not my responsibility. You have alarms. You should have gone to bed earlier. It is your responsibility. How would it look if your 20-year-old or 30-year-old still needs mom and dad to wake them up? That would just be sad. And yet there are lots of 20- and 30- or 40-year-old Christians who still have to be told to pray and read the Bible and to live for Jesus. My friends, are you willing to pay the price of responsibility? As Charles Spurgeon once said, there are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here below. I read again in verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The third price we must pay is the price of commitment. The price of commitment. In other words, a commitment to follow Christ. You see, to follow Christ is to identify with him. It is not easy to identify with Christ in this generation. In fact, we're almost embarrassed at times to identify with him. We fear identifying with him, thinking that perhaps our academic career, our jobs and career, social reputations, and friendships will be put in jeopardy. And yet Christ says, if you want to come after me, you have to follow me. In the context, the commitment is following until death. Are you and I willing to do that? This is the type of following commitment that is in view. There's a legend told of the Apostle Peter who was fleeing with some other Christians from Rome during the dreadful persecution of Emperor Nero. And in this tradition, the Lord appeared to Peter on his way out of Rome and asked him, Quo Vadis, which in Latin means, Where are you going? It was in that question that Peter was reminded that he was called to minister to those in Rome who were suffering persecution. And so he went back. And because he went back, he was caught, imprisoned, and eventually died, crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die as his Savior had died. Perhaps the same question is asked of you today. Quo Vadis, where are you running to when the going gets tough? Why are you running away when it's hard? Do you still identify with Christ when it is not popular to do so? When the biblical positions that Jesus himself taught are not popular and even mainstream today, will you still hold on to them? Will you still hold on to the things of the Lord if it will cause you to get canceled in this culture? Will you still pay the price of commitment to Jesus? My friends, it should be no surprise that if you and I are committed to identifying with Christ, we will be shamed by the world. But look what verse twenty six says: For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. The contrast in verse twenty six is between receiving glory now in the eyes of the world or receiving God's glorious approval in the future. Jesus spoke of the greater glory available in the contextual future by associating his future glory at his resurrection with the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So the question is, what type of reputation and glory do you want? The one given by the world or the one given by the Heavenly Father? Who do you want to approve of your life? And whose approval really matters the most to you? My friends, remember, the glory of today's world is temporary. Who remembers the champions of last year or even five years ago? But the honor and praise the Lord will bestow upon you for being committed to Him will last for all eternity. I venture to guess that most of us don't have a problem with being committed to following Jesus. But we follow from a distance, and we only follow when we want to or if it's convenient for us. To make an impact in this world as a church body, we must pay the price of commitment. That means living out Christianity as a way of life. Publicly identifying with Jesus and being fully committed to his cause. That means living our lives as parents, children, students, employers and employees, retirees, as people who really follow Jesus, even if it costs you your job, reputation, advancement, friendships, and so on. I was reading an article by Chuck Swindoll entitled Monday Morning Pulpits. He writes, Something bothers me when people discuss the subject of Christians and their work. You see, I frequently hear about Christians who are poor workers. Some employers have even told me they prefer not to hire Christians. That's quite an indictment. As I probe for reasons, I hear the following attitude. Christian employees are negative, critical, presumptuous, and resistant to change, and they tend to take advantage of Christian bosses. Competence. The last few I've hired were incompetent. They couldn't do the job. Focus. They're preoccupied with other things, including witnessing and church activities and relationships unrelated to the workplace. Character. The last one I hired was just plain dishonest. Hopefully, these represent only a small minority of workers who profess Christ. But show me lazy, negative Christians on the job or in their studies and I will show you an office, school, or store or shop that's uninterested in the message of Christ. My friends, like it or not, the world scrutinizes us with the watchfulness of a seagull peering a shrimp in shallow water. A believer at work is under constant surveillance. That's our number one occupational hazard. When we speak of our Savior and the life He offers Others filter our words through what they've already observed in our work and life. That's why we must be willing to pay the price of commitment to live out Christianity as a way of life every day. My friends know this. It will only get harder to commit ourselves to Christ in this generation. It will be harder to identify with Him and stay committed doing so because the supposedly tolerant culture we live in is actually more and more intolerant of anything related to Christ and His teachings. So how do we impact and even change a culture like the woke culture, the cancel culture, the tolerance culture, and other cultures out there that are moving very quickly in an opposite direction from the biblical culture we are to live out in this world, according to Jesus? The key is a commitment to consistently follow Jesus. Jesus if they can't call us out in our own hypocritical actions, then while they may not like us, they will admire our commitment to Jesus and our consistency in how we live out our lives and perhaps give us a listen. You see, this generation doesn't listen to hypocrites. If you say you love Jesus with all of your heart and are fully committed to him, If I were to ask you to let me borrow your car tomorrow for a ministry service and for you to please commute to work, would you do so? If I asked you to use one of your vacation days to help me do something at church for the Lord, would you do so? If I challenge you to share your faith with your friends and family, would you do it? If I need you to wake up earlier and come an hour earlier to help me with something or to volunteer for a service project, would you do it? How you answer those questions and others will show your real commitment to the cause of Christ. Let's not pay lip service to commitment. Let's actually be committed wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ. Jim Elliott was a young married man and the father of a toddler, educated, and a popular all-American guy. He had all of his life ahead of him. He, along with four other men and their wives, risked everything To tell the Aka Indians of South America about Jesus. One day, as the four men traveled to one of the most violent tribes on earth to share the good news, the tribe killed them all. Amazingly, two of the widowed wives stayed on to minister to the tribe. Eventually, several of the men who had killed the missionaries gave their lives to Christ. Decades later, in an unbelievable expression of reconciliation, the son of one of the men who had been murdered was baptized by two of the men who murdered his father in the very river where his father died. Jim Elliott summarized the cost and the glory of committing one's life to Christ when he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. My friends, we really do praise and thank God for 55 years of His grace and mercy in our church. We don't deserve all that has been given to us, the many chances our Lord has granted in spite of our failures. And to see what He's done in our church these past two decades have been amazing and exciting. But to take this church to the next level, we as a church collectively, every member of this body must be willing to pay the price asked of us to see this church truly make an impact in the community and in your various spheres of influence are you willing to pay the price of sacrifice the price of responsibility and the price of commitment to our lord the one who gave of his own life to die in our place to give us life abundant can you really tell jesus all the things you can't do for him because it was inconvenient or hard? Or will we respond, yes, Lord, because of your faithfulness, grace, love, and goodness, because you have saved me. Whatever you ask of me, I will do it for your glory. In London, there was a restaurateur owner named Emil Mettler. Mettler would never allow a Christian worker or pastor to pay for a meal in his restaurant. But once he did happen to open his cash register in the presence of a pastor from the London Missionary Society, the pastor was astonished to see among the bills and coins a six-inch nail. What was it doing there? Mettler explained, "'Sir, I keep this nail with my money to remind me of the price that Christ paid for my salvation and of what I owe him in return.'" My friends, when we talk about the price and cost of following Jesus, we think it is really hard, costly to us. But what does it cost us compared to the one who had nails driven into his body so that he could die to save our souls for all eternity? Don't talk to me about the heavy cost of discipleship until you've counted the cost of your own salvation. Don't tell me about the heavy cost of discipleship until you've counted the cost of your salvation. May we as a church be willing to pay the price of discipleship in sacrifice, responsibility, and commitment because I'm definitely not here to maintain an aging aquarium, and I hope neither are you. I'm here with you to fish for lives for Jesus. This is why GCCP exists as a church, to see lives transformed through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. All too often, in our own entitlement, we feel that You must do everything for us. And yet we forget You've already done everything for us. You've given of Your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price of our sins, to give us eternal life and salvation. And so, Lord, when You call us to follow You, to sacrifice, to bear the responsibility to be committed to You, it is not too much to ask. We may think of the heavy cost of discipleship until we count the cost of our own salvation. We desire, Lord, to glorify You. We desire for all that You have done to live our lives approved by the one whom we desire to have your approval. Lord, challenge your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.